And so, you know, and to be really honest with you, we all need momentum. We all need spiritual momentum. We all need that, that part of us that feels like we're moving forward and we're not doing the two steps forward, two steps backward thing. You know, like, you know, we're not doing spin classes. We're actually riding bikes and making it happen, which, by the way, I've got a story. I went on a bike ride this weekend. My buttocks are very, very sore right now. I can barely stand up here. So, Do we have the picture? There we go. That's, that's, the, that's Team Vandement. We're riding for diabetes yesterday, 20 miles. I haven't rode 20 miles forever. I, don't, I can't remember. Yeah. So that's us on the river bound by South Bend. We rode from Ashland to South Bend, past the river, and back. And there are hills on this road. And see, here's what happened. Jennifer, a few months back, maybe two months ago, she said, hey, I signed you up for something. Whenever your wife says, hey, I signed you up for something, that's when you get concerned. Because then I'm like, well, I don't know. And then, and then she said, you know, you can do 10 miles, 20 miles, 75 miles. And I said, I think I'm down for the 10. You know, give me, sign me up for the 10. So then it happened. We signed up for the 10. Everybody else signed up for the 20. So guilting me to death, they made me ride the 20. Okay. So we get out there. Here's, here's some of the problems we had to deal with right away. Number one is we don't own any bikes. People that don't own bikes shouldn't commit to ride 20 miles. <laughs> That's my thought, you know, right off the bat. That was a problem. The other problem is I don't have any gear. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, I mean, there was guys out there that looked like Lance Armstrong. I mean, they had the spandex pants, the spandex shirts. They had hats, mirrors. They had lights. I mean, they had, I mean, you name it. They had everything. And I'm out there with my Bahama shorts and a normal T-shirt. I mean, I, I didn't even look like I belonged there. I mean, I just knew that, you know, luckily they gave us shirts, so I kind of halfway fit in. And so we're out there, so we just know. So then here's what happens. We, we take off, and I'm thinking, 20 miles. I'm a little concerned. I'm getting older. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm just thinking heart attack. And I even told Jennifer at one point, if I have a heart attack, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ride over into that deep grass and just go down. I mean, just I'm just going to be down right there. And so, but, so we take off and all these people, they're like, they're like in a race mode and I'm in survival mode. You know, I'm just thinking, how do I get going? And so we take off and it's pretty good. I mean, because the first half mile was downhill. I mean, it was nice. I'm like, dude, this is fun. You know, I'm, I'm telling people, passing on the left, passing on the left. Passing on the left, I mean, I got my Bahamas shorts going and my little dirt bike thing going, we pedal and pedal and pedal. You know, I'm feeling pretty cool. Troy's way up there ahead of us. I mean, we're, we're going we're gonna to win this thing, you know. And then we hit the uphill, right? And I don't know if you've ridden bikes very much, but nowadays they have 21-speed bikes, you know. And so I was in about 12th speed. And so I went from 12 to 11 to 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And at 1, this is what happens when you're in 1 on a bike going up a hill. You're pedaling, but you're almost to fall over at the same time you're going so slow. Right? And all the same people that I just passed, passing on the left, passing on the left, passing on the left. I'm like, are you kidding me? So I, I'm busting my tail. I mean, I am dying, dying going up. And this is the first hit. But then we get to the top of the hill, 
And I'm like, dude, I am in charge. Because now I'm going all the way from one to 21 gear, and I'm passing all these people. Passing on the left, passing on the left, passing on the left. Man, I'm blowing by him. I'm almost to catch up to Troy. I'm going to win this thing. And then there's another hill. <laughs> I'm all the way down to the bottom. At the end, I figured out I don't care if I win. I just want to finish. And so we finished the race and raised some money for diabetes. And today my butt is very, very sore. And I can barely stand up here. So if you see me grabbing a hold of the tables because I'm about to fall over, it hurts. <laughs> the hamstrings are crying. The Achilles is crying. So I'm just letting you into my world, all right? But actually it plays into the series. Here's the point. Is that we all love the downhills, don't we? We all love the downhills. We all love it when we have momentum and it seems like you're just picking up speed. But we all hate the uphills. I mean, it all kicks our tail, but you know, you got times when you got to do that. And so in this series, hopefully we can figure out how to find the downhill, how to, how to find that momentum and what's going on. So anyway, let's jump into our key text. Key text is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Check 2 Peter chapter, uh, sorry, key text, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. And so here's what it says. It says, for this very reason, let me just back up on the very reason. He's talking a few verses in verses 1 through 5 in, in 2 Peter about the person and the work of Christ, about this divine destiny that we have in God. And so maybe you know exactly what that is. Maybe you're here today and you're just exploring this concept of what does it mean to have a divine destiny with God. It's this idea that Christ has made me alive and that Christ actually paid the price of my sin. And he's talking about in the context of that, for this very reason, he jumps into this verse. It says, do your best. And you might want to underline that phrase. Do your best. Do your best to add goodness to your faith. To your goodness, add knowledge. And to your knowledge, add self-control. And to your self-control, add endurance. And to your endurance, add godliness. And to your godliness, add Christian affection. And to your Christian affection, add love. And so there's this synergy that's happening. Add, add, add. And it's just happening. And he goes on in verse 8. These are the qualities you need. You know, there's things in life you need to get momentum. There's things in life that you need to get spiritual momentum. And he's talking about these are the things you need. If you can add these things, if you can build upon these things, if you can shift through the gears, so to speak, going downhill, you're going to find this that's going to be valuable in your, in your spiritual development, your relationship with God. And if you have them in abundance, they will make you active and effective. Active and effective, which is code for momentum, right? Active and effective in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it doesn't say that you would just have more spiritual knowledge. It's saying that you're going to actually have an activity or a motion or a momentum in your spiritual understanding of your relationship with the Lord. And so he's talking about this idea. Notice two things real quickly. One, what's first? Notice what's first in the whole portion of Scripture here. It's faith. It says in the very first part, add goodness to your faith. 
It starts with faith. It starts with this idea that, Lord, I trust you. I, I, I trust that you're going to do something in my life that I couldn't do myself. I trust that you're going to make things happen that I can't make happen in my own power. I trust you. I put my faith in you. And so that's first. And then also notice all the ads. We just read through them. Add this, add this, add this, add this, add this, add this. And I call this the snowball effect. It's I just keep adding stuff, and I'm, I'm rolling up the snowball, so to speak. I'm, I'm putting an effect to it. You put the, the, ball, the little snowball on the hill, and you roll it down the hill, and as it gets to the bottom of the hill, man, it's this big because I keep adding stuff to it. There's momentum, the snowball effect. So all of this is, is this amazing plan of God restoring, uh, is couched in this amazing plan of God restoring his relationship with you and I. But momentum is key in the whole process. And so that's what this series is about. So here's what we're going to do. For the next several weeks, we're going to talk about building momentum, but we're going to use at the same time the life of Moses. And, and Moses is one of my favorite characters of Scripture. Moses is the man. I mean, he, obviously there's movies made about him, right? Moses, you know, I mean, there's movies out there, you know. And, and so he, he's the man. And, and there's a lot of things that happen with Moses that are types and shadows of the work of Christ on the cross. And so if you're into reading Scripture, which I hope you are, you'll read Old Testament stories about Moses and realize that there's a correlation which is called a shadow or a type of Christ in the story. Like today, what we're going to read, we're going to see one of those shadows or those types, the, those correlations that happen. So we're going to study Moses. And how to find that. Now, on my personal journey, I've always related with Moses. How many of you have a character in Scripture that you relate with? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, a lot of us do. We have a character. For me, if you were to ask me, hey, what character or person in Scripture do you most relate with? I would automatically say Moses. And, it, and there's a reason why. It's because, because he wasn't really sure always if he was the right guy for the job, but he was always available for the job. And I get that. I, I always have that sense. Lord, I'm not sure if you picked the right guy, but I'm willing and I'm available if you want to use me. And so I connect with that thought of Moses of just being available, but yet having a question mark to whether I'm really the right guy. And so I get that. And then also about Moses, this is one of the parts that draw me to him, is that he was very passionate about the presence of God. He was very passionate about God's activity in his midst he, to the point where, where many times he would have what is called glory encounters. He would have these moments where him and God would do business, whether it was on Mount Sinai with the Ten Commandments or it was the tent of meeting. But there's, there was these incredible moments in, in Moses' lives, lives when he had these encounters with God in his presence. And so I love that about Moses. I mean, I connect with that because I know a lot of my spiritual journey has been based on that. And then, and then another one was that he had an incredible sense of purpose and meaning. I get that. How many of us would like to have a greater sense of purpose and meaning, right? I mean, I mean, that's, I mean that's what he had. He he's had that incredible sense of purpose and meaning. But he didn't always have it. He, he, matter of fact, he had to actually learn about what that purpose and meaning was. He had to develop momentum as he went, and so that's what we're looking at in this series. How did that happen? So let's just jump in. Let's jump in. Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1. We're just going to look at chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 in this series. We're just going to study each little portion and try to see if we can't learn something about momentum in our own lives. Here's the first verse, verse 6. It says, In time, in time, 
Joseph and all of his brothers died, ending that entire generation. All right, so let me just back up just a little bit so we get the context of what's going on here. Joseph was one of the sons of Jacob, and Jacob's sons out of, they didn't like Joseph because he was the favorite. And so what they did is they actually took Joseph and threw him in a well and felt bad about throwing him in a well. And then they sold him to slave traders that were heading to Egypt. Long story made short, Joseph was under the favor of God in the midst of all that ugly situation and ends up becoming the second in command in Egypt. Later, he invites his whole family, because he's in command, to come and live with him in Egypt and survive this drought that's hitting the whole land. And so God was showing this incredible favor in Joseph's life and his brother's lives, and now they have this opportunity to just do great things. That's what was happening in that little verse there. Then it goes on, verse 7. But their descendants, so they had kids. And by the way, between verse 6 and verse 7, probably about 200 years. There's a chunk of time that happened between verse 6 and verse 7. But the descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. And so here's what happened. When they first moved there, when Joseph invited his family, Somewhere between 70 and 120 people, maybe, were part of the family. At this time, upwards to half a million people. They were having kids. I mean, they were, like, getting after it, you know. I mean, it was, it was happening. They were multiplying, and they were becoming powerful, and things were t- taking place, right? So, so this is the story, all right? So let me give you just real quickly three thoughts about spiritual momentum and just some truths that we can build on. Here's the first one. Spiritual momentum is always connected to the favor of God. It's always connected to the favor of God. Joseph, who the text of Scripture refers to, he had favor from God. Matter of fact, even in the midst of all the things that happened in Joseph's life, getting thrown in a well, getting sold to slave drivers, getting thrown, sold in prison, all these kind of things, ironically, in the midst of the difficult situation, there was God's favor in the middle of all of it. Some of you might feel like that's your life. You might have favor and don't even know it. But there was this favor of God, and there was momentum that was coming as part of that, and there were doors that were opening because of what God was doing. So let me just give you just a real quick encouragement or challenge. In all of your chasing after in life, in everything that you go after in life, make it one of your number one priorities to get the favor and the blessing of God on your life. Just because, here's the deal, spiritual momentum is connected to the favor of God. So if I don't care about God's favor and I don't care about his blessing, I'm just going to do my thing, and, and a lot of times disobedience is part of that, then probably, I'm not saying absolutely, there's a good chance spiritual momentum won't be yours. Big Mo will be lost in the process. So God's favor. Also, there is the Israelites. They had momentum. And, and part of their momentum was in this thought here, is that spiritual momentum has to do with things like multiplication and power. And later on, we're going to realize spiritual momentum always leads to freedom. So you have these things. So you're filling a blank there is spiritual moment, momentum always produces. 
Spiritual momentum always produces. What it, it, it multiplies. It's powerful. It's life-giving. It's freedom. It's all these things that we want so much in our lives. And so that's what comes as a result of spiritual momentum. Now, here's, and actually, let me tie that back to our key text. Our key text said that if you add all these things and you do your best and these qualities that you need are active in abundance, if, if you have them in abundance, they will make you active and effective. So there's this idea that there's this production that happens. Spiritual momentum produces something. Spiritual momentum has a wake of reproduction, power, and freedom. And so that's one of the things that you need to understand. And see, some of us, we desperately need freedom in our spiritual journey. And a lot of times, this freedom that we want is connected to the momentum that we need. So those two things are connected. Here's a third one. This is what we're going to spend a lot more time on is that spiritual momentum will always face obstacles. Obstacles. In other words, I can almost guarantee you things will change, life will happen. Matter of fact, just look at the person beside you and say, things change, life happens. Just tell them that. Things change, life happens. Right? Things change, life happens. And so... If, if I think spiritual momentum is just a matter of it being easier, <laughs> then I'm going to have momentum. But reality is there's going to be obstacles. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be roadblocks. There's going to be things that I've gotta have, I'm going to have to deal with to get there. So let me, let me read some more verses of our story. Exodus chapter 8, verse 10. It says, eventually, eventually. A new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. In other words, there was no relationship at all to the favor that they recognized that was upon Joseph a long time ago. There was a need for new momentum. There was a need for a new relationship. All this was happening. So eventually a new king came to power. Verse 9, he said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. And so in the midst of what was going on, and a lot of times there's fear that really grapples with this idea of momentum, and that's what was happening with Pharaoh. That this fear was grabbing him. He said, man, we've got to make a plan. We've got to shut this down. We've got we to gotta stop this. This is getting out of control. I mean, this man, we're not going to survive if we let this keep happening. And so notice what happens in verse 10. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. So let me, let me give you just a spiritual thought that most of us maybe don't know or maybe we need to know or maybe we have never thought about. There are people, situations, powers of darkness even. You're like, what are powers of darkness? It means the enemy of your soul does not want you to have momentum. Does not want you to have momentum. And so I can guarantee you today that right now there are things, there are situations, there are works, there are powers, whatever it might be that are out there that do not want to see you gain momentum in your spiritual journey. And some of you are like, really? And, and, and that's the reality of what's going on here. And so it's eventually this is what's happening. So then let's read on. Their plan, here's the plan, verse 11. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. So the plan was, let's make them slaves. Let's make them slaves. Last part of verse 11, it says, They forced them to build the cities of Pithiom and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. 
So when there's no momentum on the spiritual journey, often what happens is it leads to a place of slavery. Remember what I said, it's reproduction, it's power, and it's freedom. And so what he's doing, he's saying, hey, let's make them slaves. Let's just push them down. Let's hold on to them. And what happens many times is we find ourselves not producing for the king, Jesus, but instead our lives are building cities for another lesser king. In other words, my whole life doesn't come about for the purpose of why I'm here. It comes about for spinning it and giving it for somebody else that really doesn't even care about who Jesus is or what my purpose is in relation to, to him for life. And so all of that is happening in this idea of slavery. So we lose our purpose, and slavery then becomes spending our lives for a meaningless other, whatever other might be. So then it goes on, gets worse. Verse 22, then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. And this is the correlation between Jesus and Moses. Remember what happened with Jesus? They said, hey, go through. Herod went through and said, we got to get rid of all the kids, right? There's, there's something, we, we want to stop this thing, so let's get rid of all the kids. There's a correlation here. It says, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you, mu- you, may, let the, you may let the girls live. And so what was happening? Pharaoh was trying to steal the future of the people of God. He was trying to steal the future. He was trying to get in there and just mess it up. I'm going I'm to get in there and pull away the momentum. I'm going to pull away the opportunities. I'm, I'm just going to get in there and mess with it. And see, what jumped out at me when I read these three texts that we just read is the word eventually. 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 See, we all have an eventually, don't we? We all have an eventually, the time in our lives when we feel stuck. Eventually, it just didn't it quit happening like it was before. I used to feel like I had momentum, but now I don't. Or the times in our lives when we seem, where it seems like the favor of God has run out, or the times in our lives where the opposition seems huge, all the time. So this eventually idea. And so in the midst of this, this is when we need to look, and how, look how to find this momentum that we desperately need. So let me ask you a question. What are the obstacles to your spiritual momentum? What's the obstacles in your life? What are they? I knew for years part of the obstacle in my personal momentum was just lack of discipline. I just wasn't disciplined. I wasn't disciplined with my time. I wasn't disciplined in in prayer. I wasn't disciplined in in reading scripture. I just wasn't disciplined. And I realized, man, if I'm going to get some momentum, I've got to be disciplined. What, what is it in your life? What, what is it? I mean, what, what is it that is the obstacle to your spiritual momentum? Or let me ask it a different way. What new king is in power or trying to take power over your life? What new king is trying to make you a slave? What, what new king is trying to come in and get you derailed, off course, get you in a position where you just can't move forward and do what God created you to do? What's, what is that new king thing that's happening in your life? I just wrote down a few. Maybe it's, maybe it's a new job. You know, you thought, man, I need this new job. But once you got the new job, you realize, man, I was a lot better off with the old job. Right? I, I, I mean, but the pay's better. But you realize, man, the pay's better, but life's not better. What's the new king? Or, or maybe it was the new relationship. You know, man, he, he's such a nice guy. But boy, when I really got to know him and kind of made a commitment to be together with him, whoo, he's a piece of work. You know, that kind of thing, right? 
I mean, what, what's the new king? What's the, what is it? Is it is it a relationship that maybe you're trying, or you know maybe it's some monetary thing, a new car. Man, I man, new car. I needed that new car. I need a new car, and so I, I went and I got the new car, and now I got the new payment, <laughs> right? And now I'm a slave to a payment. What's the new king? Maybe it's the, it's the new house. You know, it's the the new project. It's the new whatever. Or the new hobby, or the new boss, or the new schedule. What is it? Because I think it's important that we come to a point in our spiritual journey where we at least take a moment and try to identify what is the obstacle to my spiritual momentum. What is it? What causes me, if God says, I want you to have spiritual momentum, I want you to be in a place where you're reproducing, and you're powerful, and you're free, and you're doing all these different things. If God has that plan for my life, what is, what is in the way to getting me to that point? I think that's a valid question. Now, there's three common ones, three common things that stand in way of our spiritual momentum. I'll just give them to you real quick. Three common things. These come from studies, and actually it's connected to the reveal study that we've done. And these are three things that stand in the way of our spiritual momentum. And so if you want to practically think about what maybe it would take for you to deal with momentum or lack thereof in your own life, look at these things. Here's the first one is a lack of effort. A lack of effort. Remember that first phrase in our key text, do your best. <laughs> There's an idea that you're going to give it your effort. You're going to give your, your all. You're going you're to lay it all on the line. And so a lack of effort. And here's, here's how it destroys our spiritual journey. When your spiritual journey begins to be defined by what's comfortable or what's convenient, there's probably a good chance that you're losing momentum and you don't even know it. And so spiritual momentum always requires effort and risk. And so that's the first one. That's one of the first common ones. Here's the second one. is a lack of connection. A lack of connection. We lose momentum in our spiritual journey when we disconnect from the relationships that encourage spiritual growth. In other words, what happens is we do life in isolation instead of addition. Instead of adding, adding, adding the relationships and the different things that I need to get that snowball effect happening in my spiritual journey, that downhill effect, what I do is I isolate myself. I pull away from the pack. I don't want to be a part of it. Can I just be very honest with you? This is probably the one that affects most people. Just that simple idea that I'm not going to be connected with somebody that's going to help me spiritually grow. or when And here's what happens. Usually when I really, really, really need the relationship is the point when I'm most isolated. I pull away. I, I'm not accountable. I'm not there. I'm not, I'm not willing to engage. And so somehow I have to understand that this connection is so vital to being a part of this momentum thing that we're talking about. Here's the third one. And it's a lack of focus. Lack of effort, lack of connection, lack of focus. Jesus said in the parable of the sower that those who produce the most are those who are not distracted by the cares, the worries, the pleasures, and the wealth of this world. In other words, what he was saying, he said those that have momentum spiritually, they have a good priority base to who they are and why they're here. They, they understand that the priority is to become exactly like what Christ created me to be. That I'm not necessarily here for me, I'm actually here for Him. That somehow that would come alive in me, but there's a focus issue that happens. And so the lack of effort, lack of connection, lack of focus. 
And I want to give you a challenge if I could. You know, and, and this happens every summer, and it, it always drives me crazy. Can I just be brutally honest for a second? I feel like every year we have momentum from January to the first part of May as a church. Crazy momentum. This year, our momentum has been off the charts from January through May. But then all of a sudden, something happens in May. I don't know if it's the pool water starts flowing or what, what happens, but something happens. And all of a sudden, we have this spiritual summer vacation happen. Okay? I'm just going to be very honest with you as a pastor, as a friend, and I'm going to give you a challenge. Don't be that person this summer. Don't be that summer, this, that person this summer that thinks that cutting the grass is more important than getting here with the people of God. Don't be that person that, that can't seem to make that effort to still stay connected and consistent throughout the summer. Not because we want to have a great summer, because that kills momentum. Because here's what happens, and I, and I see this happen, is then we go June, July, and August, and people kind of start coming back around in August, and they're doing this. What are we doing? Oh, yeah, Jesus. I remember that guy. I remember that. And it's like we have to restart the whole thing. We have to reprogram the whole thing and get people excited about what God is wanting to do in their lives. But instead, maybe we should just hold steady through the summer. Can I get like a big amen for that? I mean, I think that's just worthwhile. So let's just go for it. Let's don't, let's don't lose momentum through the summer. Anyway, enough said. So let's jump to the next part of Scripture. And let's talk about getting momentum started. All right, let's talk about getting momentum started. Exodus chapter 2, and this is the birth of Moses. And I just want to look at the birth of Moses for a few moments and see what we can lean. So let's learn. <clears throat> so let's read through it. It says, about this time, important little phrase, about this time, a specific time, about this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. No biggie, but something's happening. Verse 2, the woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Okay, that's pretty normal, but something's happened. She saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. And I don't know, I did a little research trying to figure out why was, she, how did she know she, he was a special baby? You know, was it like he, she looked at him and he had like a little tattoo across his forehead that said special? I mean, what was it that she knew he was special? I mean, could it be that he already had some of the glory glowing thing already happening when he was a little baby? My personal thought is, is it was just like any normal mom, right? How many of you know that when you have your baby, you look at your baby and you say, this child is special, right? <laughs> okay, you know what I mean? Could be the most pathetically ugly looking baby on the planet, but to that parent, this is a, this is a beautiful child, you know? And it is, he is, she is. I mean, if you think I'm talking to you, I'm not talking to you, just get over it. It's just a comment, all right? And so, so she sees something special about this baby. There's an awareness that there is a God moment, which I think should be for everybody. I think everybody should have this understanding of the specialness of a created person by God. That somehow there's something special. There is no invaluable person on the planet. Everybody is in that category. goes on. So then verse 3. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. And it's interesting because I don't know how this was happening because I was trying to put myself in the story and, and think about what was going on. Because remember, Pharaoh is killing all the boys. 
He's killing all the boys. So she's saying, I'm not my boy. He's special. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to protect him. I'm going to hide him. And, and some of you moms are trying to figure out, how do you hide a child that is crying? Or how do you hide a child that maybe your next-door neighbor just had their child taken from them and is gone and you still have yours? How do you, how do you hide that? How do you keep that secret? And so she's trying to keep this secret that can't be a secret. So it goes on. And she put the baby in the basket and laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. And, and I don't know, it doesn't say that she did it thinking that she's just going to show up every other hour and take care of the baby. It was almost like, Lord, somehow you got to take care of this. Lord, somehow you got to do something here because I can't do this. I mean, there was almost a giving up kind of thing. Not a, not a giving up like I don't care, but more like, Lord, somehow you've got to do something. And I think that's an interesting thought with momentum, that there would be that point or that moment that you come and you say, Lord, somehow you've got to do something. Somehow you've got to change this. Somehow you've got to step in. Lord, somehow in the midst of all this, you have to be in the middle of it. I don't know how else to do it. And it's a good place to be, actually. And so she puts the baby in the basket among the reeds on the bank of the Nile. Verse 4, the baby's sister then stood at a distance, and she's probably older, stood at a distance watching to see what would happen. All right, here we go. We're, we're just doing this. Who knows what's going to happen? See what's going to happen to him. And then verse 5, soon Pharaoh's daughter came to bathe in the river. Just happened to be that spot. Pharaoh just happened to show up in that moment, in that place, at that time. And there's something happening here. It goes on. It says that, she showed up to bathe in the river, and her attendants walked along uh, the riverbank. And when the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, when the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it for her. And when the princess opened it, she saw the baby. And the little boy was crying. Wasn't that special? The little boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. Which is interesting because everybody in Pharaoh's palace would have seen or looked at the Hebrew people as the enemy. They would have had that mentality that says, man, these guys are nothing but trouble. They're trying to take over. There's this fear thing that was happening. But something happened in her heart that changed that. The little boy was crying and she felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. Then verse 7, then the baby sister approached, just happened to be there. The baby sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? I mean, it's kind of like, hey, you know, I'm just here. I, I could help. You know, what do you think? You know, I mean, it's kind of that kind of thought. She asked, yes, do, verse 8. The princess replied, so the girl went and called the baby's mother. How perfect. The baby's mother. And it said, verse 9, take this baby and nurse him for him. So the relationship and the connection is made back together. And the princess told the baby's mother, and it even gets more crazy, I will pay you for your help. How many of you would like to be paid to be parents? <laughs> what a sweet deal, right? I mean, all of a sudden, in the middle of this, she goes from, here, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen, to the next thing I know, I'm still with my child, and I'm getting paid to do it on top of it. I mean, this is crazy. And so right there, God's doing something. There's momentum. And so take this baby and nurse him for me, the princess told the baby's mother, and I will pay you for your help. So the woman took her baby home and nursed him. She didn't even have to go to the palace or Pharaoh's home to do it. 
Later, when the boy was older, probably 12, teenager, later when the boy was older, his mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, which again was almost the same act as what she did the first time to put the baby in the basket. It was almost the same thing. It was almost, Lord, I don't know how this is going to happen, but here you go. I don't know how this is going to work out, but here you go. Remember what we start with? Faith. So she put him back in the hands of Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her own son. As you read through the text, you find out that historically they say that Pharaoh's daughter was unable to have children. And so somehow, miraculously, she has a son that just showed up. Sounded like a corresponding story that we might know about with Jesus. That miraculously, a son just showed up. Anyway, so the princess then named him Moses. For she explained, I lifted him out of the water. I lifted him out of that stalled, stuck, stagnant place among the reeds. And I gave him life. Momentum started in this point. So let me give you four things that I think are important for us to understand today from our text, and then we'll wrap it up. First one is this. Again, going back to add to your faith. First one is we need to understand there are no accidents with God. There are no accidents. There's not a person in this room that you can say, I'm an accident. I'm an accident. It's not true with God. Every single person in this room has a destiny. You're not born because of a mistake. You are born for a purpose. You're not born because your parents or whoever they might be or the situation of your birth was such a catastrophe, but just the opposite, that there was a destiny with you. And so there's no accidents with God. We all have this destiny. We're all special in His eyes. Moses' life as a son was no accident. His birth, his escape from death, there was no accident, and there is no accident for you. See, that's why I need to start if I'm going to get momentum. I've got to understand I'm not an accident. I was thinking about it in my own life. I, my mom, who I was raised with, adopted by my dad, when I was six months old and has been my dad all my life, but as far as my blood father, I don't know. He adopted my dad that raised me, adopted me. In my mind, my mom always told me this, I never felt like I belonged. I always actually felt like I was an accident. I actually subconsciously would tell myself, I bet my mom wish I never was born. I, I, I would have that constantly to the point, even when I was growing up, I remember saying this. I bet I said it a hundred times. It's the Vandemans and Troy. Because I couldn't make myself connected to the reality that maybe I had a destiny, that maybe I had a purpose. I couldn't quite get to that point. I just, I couldn't get there. And to be honest with you, it probably had something to do with my drug and alcohol abuse and all the crazy stuff that I got involved in. And I remember as I went through life, and I was probably about 18 at the time. Jennifer and I were just kind of becoming a couple at that point. Just to, I don't, We weren't at marriage stage, but it was getting close. And I had, had a relationship with Christ. And, and, I mean, he had made me alive when I was 16, and I was backslidden. I was running from God. And I, and, and I had this epiphany moment. It was, and I'm just going to share it with you real quickly. It was an epiphany moment that was in the midst of stupidity. But in the midst of stupidity, God showed me, I still have a destiny for you. It was the weirdest thing. So here's what happened. I, 
simply did what I do best. I went out, got drunk and high. I was really good at that. And I came home that night to my little shanty house that I had, second floor apartment. Locked myself out. The door was locked. And so I, being the brilliant person I am, I said, I'll just go in the backyard and climb up the electric pole and crawl in the window and be home free. No problem. I mean, you know, hey, I've done that before. So I climb up there, get up to the top, get up, and I stand on the ledge, just like this ledge here. And I kind of just do one of these to stretch or whatever. And I remember losing my balance and falling straight back about 15 feet. And I landed on the ground, and I hit so hard, it knocked me out. Just knocked me out cold. I mean, I was just unconscious. I don't even know how long. And when I woke up the next morning, I woke up, and I'm laying there. The birds are chirping. I'm like, whoa, what in the world just happened? And it was kind of cold. There's a little frost on the ground. It was, you know, a little chilly. And I went to move, and I couldn't move. I thought, man, I must be froze to the ground. What the heck is going on here? You know, I couldn't move. And then I, I went to move again, and I realized that I couldn't move because I was actually stuck to the ground. Because when I fell off, there was a pole that my grandfather had drove into the ground, like a, like a uh, fence post pole into the ground to tie the dog. We used to have a chain for a big dog, big mean dog, and it stuck out of the ground about this high. And so when I fell back like this, it went right through here, through my coat, through my shirt, my undershirt, all through all of them, pierced it. And so I couldn't move. And I remember, I remember waking up, and I had that epiphany right then because God was dealing with me. And it was almost like said, I saved you because <laughs> I have a purpose for your life. And it, it freaked me out. It freaked me out. I mean, it was almost like God was like, see, <laughs> even in your stupidity, I'm right here because you're not an accident. Even in the stupid stuff that you've done again and again and again, I'm right here, and I'm giving you. And there was other stories that I could tell about my stupidity. I have a lot of good stupid stories. Come on. Hey, somebody, that's me raising my hand. Come on. Anybody got a stupid story? All right, all right. Don't leave me up here hanging like that because it feels very lonely when I'm the only one raising my hand Say I got stupid stories, and you guys all got perfect stories. All right. Hey. And so here's the idea, and here's the truth of this is none of us in this room are accidents. And the moment that we begin to figure out that I have a destiny and I have a purpose with God, all of a sudden it's like a push button, start button on momentum. Because I can almost go back to that moment and say to you that there was something that started in me that began to begin to search for what God had for me, even though it took me a while to find it. It was, it was in that moment of understanding, I'm not an accident. Second thought, and these, there's four of them. Accepting, so understanding there's no accidents with God. And the second one, building this spiritual moment, is accepting the timing of God. How many ever get frustrated with God's timing? How many ever feel like God's late? <laughs> right? Our story that we just read is 400 years in the waiting. 400 years, not four days, not four weeks, not four months or four years, 400 years waiting, but yet it was still perfect timing. You remember, it said about this time. I mean, there's this timing thing that happens. See, the timing of God is sometimes frustrating, but he knows exactly when things need to happen. 
And I've got to accept that. I've got to accept the timing of God because this is how momentum gets started is when I understand the perfect timing of God. And maybe right now you're in the middle of waiting for something to happen. Accept the timing of God. Accept the timing of God. Maybe you're just about to experience some real momentum in your life, and the key is simply trusting or accepting God's timing, not trying to force it on your own. How many of you know what it means or feels like to try to force something and it didn't work? Right? We know that. I mean, we try to force things time-wise. And it, there's just something about accepting God's timing in the process that he does these things. See, they were married at the perfect time. They had a son at the perfect time. They placed the baby in the basket at the perfect time, just the time that she would be coming and see him. So the timing of the, of the Lord, accept it. Here's a second one. Embrace the providence of God. Providence is a big word. It has to do with God's sovereignty, but it it really has to do with three things. And let me give them to you real quick. It has to do with preservation. It has to do with provision. And it has to do with government. Right. Preservation. So providence and God's providence, he preserves things. There might be things in your life right now that God is just holding things steady until maybe you figure out exactly what's going on or until the timing is just right for it to happen, but he's preserving, right? That's one aspect of providence. The other aspect of providence is provision that God provides. In other words, he goes ahead of you and he lays it out and says, here, this is what I got for you. And it's the providence of God that he goes before you and he provides something in the process. And the last one, it's, it's his government. And the government part of it, we don't like it because we'd like to be the governor, right? But God's the governor. <laughs> and it's his government. In other words, it's his time. It's his decision. It's his vote. It's his will. It's his way. And so there's this governmental idea, the providence. And so what I have to do in the midst of this for, for momentum is embrace the providence of God. Let me, and so unpack that in the story. The princess, think about this, this is providence. The princess, or Pharaoh's daughter, was maybe only one of a handful of people that could have even remotely rescued Moses. That's God's providence. That's God moving in the midst of that. It was that he, and, and sometimes getting started in momentum takes a step of faith. And so we have to trust God and see, just like in our story, what happens. I trust your providence. I embrace it. That God is maybe setting things up. And matter of fact, right now, you might be here. God might be setting you up right now. You might be hearing this message because by God's providence, he brought you here to this day on this time, about that time, about this day, that you might hear this message that might move you from being stalled out, stagnant, and stuck in your spiritual journey, that finally understand, Lord, I just need to accept your timing and embrace your providence, that, Lord, I'm not an accident, I'm here. Could be a setup. Here's the last one is that you receive the grace of God. In this story, I love this story because there's so much grace in this story. There's so much of God going ahead and giving to the mom of Moses incredible favor and undeserved love. Could you imagine giving your child up to a basket on the river and then only to find out that God's grace, he gave him back to you and actually paid you to do what you got to do anyway? It's grace. 
It was grace that, that somehow God would move his heart in his way through the situation. It was grace. It was undeserved favor that God somehow is watching out over your life and watching over my life. And in the midst of that, that is where spiritual momentum gets started. Maybe today God is lifting you out of the water. Maybe God is lifting you out of the water. He's looking at your situation and you're the little baby in the Moses basket. <laughs> Adrift. <laughs> Stuck. Maybe not even noticed. But God in His grace is lifting you out of that. Through this message, through this church, through your experiences, through God, through Jesus, through all the things that we talk about, maybe God is lifting you out of the water right now. Maybe he's starting momentum. Maybe he's calling you to something great. Maybe he has an amazing purpose, and this is the beginning of momentum like you've never experienced before. Maybe today's the day. Let's pray. Lord, my life is not an accident. I have a destiny. I'm all yours. I understand that, God. I understand that even in the midst of crazy situations, in the midst of whatever my upbringing was and all the different things that maybe I've been through, it wasn't an accident. God, you maybe are bringing me to this place that I might have my destiny with you. Lord, help me to see the obstacles. Lord, help me to accept your timing, God, to be patient, to wait for you to move. Help me to embrace the providence of God, your, your provision, and Lord, your government, your will, your purpose, God, all the things that are there. Lord, help me, oh God, to receive fully the grace of heaven. God, I don't have to earn anything because I couldn't earn it anyway. So, God, I open my arms, I open my heart to you and say, Lord, come. Lord, come. In Jesus' name, amen.